0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke.
1: Real love is calling Listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is for you with every sunrise. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it comes incrementally. But I firmly believe that if you apply yourself to seek the face of God, to be able to forgive those who have wronged you or offended you in the same way that you've been forgiven by God, that His grace and His help will enable you to do what is humanly difficult or you feel incapable of doing yourself. So forgive as Christ has forgiven you. God
0: will soften your heart and give you a spirit of forgiveness if you let Him. As Pastor Gary will explain in today's message, this can be one of the hardest things we'll face in this world. If you've been hurt deeply by someone, it can feel impossible to get over it. You could be the kindest, most generous person, but have a blot of bitterness in your heart towards that person that hurt you it will likely take time and could require hours upon hours of submissive prayer. But God can free you from that burden. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 17 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: All right, we're here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. Just by way of a context, we talked about how Jesus concluded his teaching about the rich man and Lazarus, which was probably not a parable, it was probably an actual event. And uh, so he is sharing the perspective about eternity, and he, and he gives us his whole story about uh, hell and paradise, the place of torment versus Abraham's side. We talked about how Jesus then, when he dies on the cross... And he is buried. His spirit goes to the paradise side. That's why Jesus even offered that promise to one of the thieves on the cross next to him. Today you'll be with me in paradise because that thief confessed his faith in Jesus. Jesus goes to the paradise side. He empties that side, leads the captives free in the train of his robe and his majesty, delivers them unto heaven. Now everybody who believes in Christ and dies post the cross goes directly to heaven. Paradise has been emptied. And Jesus then, as he goes on to teach here in chapter 17, is still focusing somewhat on this eternal perspective and the idea of not living just for today, but for living for the future, for living for tomorrow. Here in chapter 17, then he says to his disciples, verse 1, "...things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck." Than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves, he says here. Now, I read, of course, I, I read primarily out of the NIV. I'll quote King James every once in a while. And the NIV uses the word sin in this section. Again, Jesus said to his disciples things that cause people to sin. And, um,. He ends by talking about um, verse two, the warning about it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea than with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. And and yet, if you have a King James Bible, it talks about offenses instead of sin. It says talks about how offenses will come, but woe to those through whom they come. And it is better, you know, to to have a millstone tied around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to be offended. And and so King James uses the word offend. And Ivy uses the word sin. Sin seems stronger than the word offend. In fact, it is the word scandalizo, which is in English would say to scandalize. And it probably is better translated offend. Uh, there's a different word in the Greek New Testament for the word sin, which is harmatia, which is to miss the mark, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 323, that is the word hamartia. That's different from scandalion. So the idea here is, nevertheless, whether it is, you know, the idea of sin or offend, it's don't do it, all right? Whatever you want, however you want to look at it, don't don't cause somebody to sin, don't cause somebody to be offended. Jesus says, look, sin or offenses, they will happen, okay? We live in a fallen world. People will sin, people will offend, people will cause you to sin, people will cause you to be offended. Make sure you're not one of the causes of those things. He says these things are going to happen, things that cause people to sin or people to be offended are bound to come. But woe to that person through whom they come! Do not be an instrument to cause someone else to sin. And particular, he calls out here how precious children are to him. It's the idea of the little ones. He said it'd be better for a person to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck, do a mafia style, right? than to cause a little child to sin or to be offended. So God has a special place in his heart for children. Don't mess with children. And a millstone is, you know, no small thing either. And I've said this before, but the first time I went to Israel, they have an, uh, an ancient millstone that was uncovered by archaeological digs in the city of Capernaum. And when you go there, I mean, you know, it, it stands about waist high. It's huge. And so when Jesus talks about this, he doesn't just mean, hey, tie a little rock around your neck. And, you know, he's talking about actually sinking to the bottom of the sea. That's how much God has disdained for those who would ever cause a child to sin or to be offended. So he says there in verse 3, watch yourselves. Now, along the lines of sin, though, now the Greek word changes here. Because in the next sentence here, verse 3 says, if your brother sins, now it is harmatano, which is the more severe idea, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now it's not just defense, it's a different Greek word here. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Now the subject of forgiveness is uh, easier to talk about than it is to practice. Amen? Amen. But I'm going to nevertheless talk about it, and then we all have to practice it, because we're all in this together. And some of the things that Jesus says here, I think, are are noteworthy, some perhaps more obvious than others. And one of the things that that I think he's saying here is, is that forgiveness is a decision, not a feeling. Sometimes, you know, I hear people talk about their unwillingness to forgive because they just don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. You know, I don't feel moved to forgive. Now, there's a difference between forgiving as a matter of a decision and forgiving because you actually do feel like it. But the idea is that even when we don't feel like it, we have to forgive as a matter of a decision. And then, you know, the feelings will come because God will give us the grace to actually walk in that forgiveness. But sometimes we just, as a matter of discipline, have to say and a decision I forgive. I think it's probably better if you're able to offer forgiveness when you actually sincerely feel it. But if you know that that is not going to come as quickly, then it is better just to make the decision to forgive and trust the Lord to bring the feelings behind. Because forgiveness is a decision. It is not a feeling. Jesus doesn't say here, you know, after you rebuke your brother, if he repents forgive him because it's convenient forgive him because you feel like it forgive him because whatever he just says do it just do it it's a decision and then he talks in here about if he sins against you seven times a day and seven times comes back to you and says i repent forgive him you know look if, if somebody did that to you probably after the second time third time maybe if you're gracious okay let's say even four times You might stop them in their tracks and say, I'm kind of tired of doing this. I really don't want to do this anymore. You know, you obviously are not that sincere, right? And I think one of the things that Jesus is teaching us here is that we don't get to judge another person's sincerity when they ask for forgiveness. We must simply forgive as often as necessary. It is legitimate to wonder. It is legitimate to question. I'm not sure you really mean this because you keep coming back to me time after time after time. But the obligation that we have is to forgive. We have to let God deal with them whether or not they are sincere. We just have to forgive as often as necessary. Now, as he moves on here, and I got a few more points in this, but I want you to see it tied together. Verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, that's a legitimate question. Request because after Jesus just gets through saying this much as if your, if your brother sins against you go and you know call him out and if he repents forgive him and if he keeps doing this seven times I want you to forgive him every single time and the disciples are like you're gonna have to help us with this <laughs> that's what they're saying there and they're like increase our faith because we we're gonna need faith to do this you're absolutely right You're going to need a new level of just trusting God to do what seems to be unnatural or uncomfortable in our human nature. And so it's legitimate. They're like, go increase our faith. And Jesus then replies here. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now, have you ever heard that verse out of its context? Have you ever just heard that verse applied to the whole idea of faith? Like, we all need to have faith, and we need to have more faith. And if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say this mulberry bush or this mulberry tree to be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it'll happen. And the idea, though, is in its context, it's not just talking about, you know, developing deeper faith. The context is in relation to the need for us to be People of forgiveness. So in the context here, listen, a mulberry tree, if you do any studies about mulberry tree, and I did a little bit just because I wanted to know, obviously that's my job, so I'm trying to dig out Scripture and understand things a little bit better. But this is what I found out, that a mulberry tree, among all the trees, has particularly a deep root system. Very deeply rooted. Now, when I've read this verse years ago as a young Christian, I would read this verse, and did you ever practice this kind of thing? Did you ever, and you know, there's another place where Jesus talks about, you can say to this mountain, be removed and, you know, throw it in, it'll be removed. Did you ever just, when nobody was looking, did you ever just kind of like tell a tree or tell a mountain, just kind (laughs) of speak to a mountain? Did anybody else do that besides me? Just like, all right, I'm going to test this, you know, tree, go to the ocean. And then it just sits there. And you're like, man, I don't even have the faith of a mustard seed. This is ridiculous. I am completely faithless. And Jesus said we should do this. Now listen, okay, context is everything, okay? Do you think for a moment, just think for a moment, do you really think Jesus is just going around saying, hey, if you just ever indiscriminately want to uproot a bush or a tree, this is how you're supposed to do it? That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here, remember, Jesus is all about parables. He's all about taking real things to illustrate deeper spiritual truth. In its context, what Jesus is really saying here is that the deep roots of bitterness or unforgiveness can be uprooted with a little faith. That's the context here. Because they're saying, we can't forgive people who have continually offended us all these number of times, Jesus, increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you'll be able to uproot that unforgiveness and bitterness. That's the context of the story here. It's not a lesson about how to just uproot plants. It is a lesson here in its context of how to uproot those things that are deep-rooted in your heart. And if any of you have lived long enough, there's a, a good likelihood that there has been some root of bitterness in your life. If we live long enough, there's just enough interaction with enough people that you will, over time, perhaps be offended enough that you will actually have some kind of resentment or bitterness in your heart. And you know that if you don't deal with that, it goes deep. And it can be destructive. And the root system in that stuff can be terrible. And the idea here is Jesus saying, but if you just have a little bit of faith, you can believe God to help you uproot those things that are so deeply entrenched in your life in the area of bitterness and unforgiveness. Have a little faith in God to help you do what is humanly unnatural or too difficult. It's too difficult to forgive somebody once sometimes. It is especially difficult to forgive someone over and over and over again. And Jesus says, You want help with this? Okay. You need to have a little bit of faith and trust God that He can uproot those things that are deeply entrenched in your life so that you can be free of bitterness and unforgiveness. God is the God that uproots the deepest bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it comes incrementally. But I firmly believe that if you apply yourself to seek the face of God, to be able to forgive those who have wronged you or offended you in the same way that you've been forgiven by God, that His grace and His help will enable you to do what is humanly difficult or you feel incapable of doing yourself. So forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And have that little faith that he can uproot those things that are so deep in your heart. Now, he's going to illustrate this further, as there's one more point here about forgiveness uh, from verses 7 through 10. And it isn't subtitled here, but frankly, I think it should be, a parable of the master and the servant. And this little story he shares here from verses 7 through 10 is only found in the Gospel of Luke. And and again, you know, I think it's basically a parable. But this is what he says here in verse 7. Suppose one of you had a servant. Plowing or looking after the sheep? Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field? This is the master speaking. Come along now and sit down to eat. Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, again, this is still in the context of forgiveness. And he's using this little story here about a master and a servant. And the servant, you know, is supposed to just do what a servant does. And the servant is supposed to wait on the master. And the servant is supposed to, you know, to make sure that the master is, you know, taken care of. And that's just what he's supposed to do. He's not supposed to be thanked for it. He's not supposed to reverse the order or reverse the roles here. just supposed to do what a servant does. And in the area of forgiveness, I think the point that he's making here is don't lord forgiveness over someone. Simply see it as your humble duty. He's basically saying, look, you know, we are all the servants in the story. And God is our master. And When we exercise forgiveness towards someone, we're not to lord it over them. We're just to do what servants of Christ do. We do those things that are right and honor the master. And we don't do it to be thanked, and we don't lord it over somebody. You know, if you would be more sincere, I'd forgive you. Or if you would just say it an eighth time, maybe. You know, or any of these kind of things. But we just need to, I forgive you. And do that as a matter of humble duty because we're followers of Christ and as servants of His, that's what servants of His do. All right, on to the next section here, verse 11. It says, a ten healed of leprosy. That's the subtitle in my Bible, probably in yours. This, again, is only found in the Gospel of Luke uh, from verse 11 to to verse uh, 19. Let me read it. It says, Now on His way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As He was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met Him. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So there are these ten lepers. They see Jesus from a distance. It says, from a distance, they cry out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. That was required because if you were a leper in that day... You had to actually be a part of a colony that was outside of the camp. You couldn't live with your family anymore. You had to be quarantined, basically. You had to always walk around unclean, unclean, announcing yourself. Uh, Tradition says that the lepers would... Did I say leopards? The lepers... would have to have bells on them so that you could hear them coming from a distance so that you could you know, not be around them. We learned much later that it wasn't as contagious as they thought in the day, but it wasn't until 1873 that the causative organism was discovered. It's now called Hansen's disease, named after the doctor who discovered the bacteria. There's a whole cocktail of antibiotics and prescription medication now so that leprosy is virtually annihilated in the United States at least some third world countries still have uh, leprosy but it was a terrible skin disease we've talked about it before I won't go into the detail of it except to say in the context of this story which again is only found here in Luke you have 10 and Jesus says to them go show yourself to the priests now it's different he sometimes he'll say the word they'll be healed sometimes he lays his hands on the sick they're healed Uh, Jesus, you know, would heal people in a variety of ways. But on this occasion, he doesn't do anything overtly. He just says, go show yourself to the priest. Now, why would he say that? He's not trying to just kind of, you know, brush him off in the priest. I I don't have time for you. Why you Why don't you go to show yourself to the priest? He did it because Leviticus 13 made provision... For those who were lepers, that they should be inspected by the priests. This is the way it happened in those days. The priest was the one who acted kind of like the doctor, that the priest would inspect you. If you had like a bump or a rash, the priest would take a look at you and go, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's leprosy. Yeah, you need to be separated. Or, no, no, that's, that's just, you know, that's uh, just a fungus. You're going to be fine. Uh, you know, put a little uh, talcum powder or whatever it is on it and, and be on your way. But... The priest was the only one who could give a certificate that someone was cleansed from leprosy. Now, the deal is no one had ever gotten one of those certificates because nobody had ever been healed up to this point of leprosy. But the provision, nevertheless, was made in the Levitical law. Now, by the way, I'm just wanting you to know I'm glad things are different now. Not that I'm a priest, but as a pastor, I'm just glad that you're not supposed to come to me and show me your rashes. I really don't want to see them. Okay, I'm very thankful that's different now. Check this out, Pastor Gary. I don't know what this is. I don't know either, and I don't want to see it. But in those days, the priest was the guy who determined what was up with you, and if you were healed, then he gave you a certificate of cleansing. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. He's going to make that determination. Now, of course, Jesus you know, knew what was going to happen, that on the way, it says, they were cleansed. I particularly like this story because... Sometimes when people ask for prayer because they're sick and we do what James 5 says, we anoint people with oil here at Cornerstone. We pray for people. We believe that God can still heal the sick and we trust Him to work in His wonderful ways and He can choose to heal the sick either miraculously or medically or sincerely, sometimes eternally. He'll take them home. Uh, But nevertheless, we don't stop praying until we see which way He decides to heal. And the tendency is for people to want the healing now you know anoint me with oil pray for me I want to be healed now and I love this story as a reminder that sometimes God heals progressively it says as they went they were healed I don't know how far they got I don't know how far they had to walk till they got to the priest's place was it a step? was it 10 steps? was it half a mile? I mean they're in Jerusalem so you know they didn't have to go too far but on the way they were healed. Sometimes God will do a miraculous healing in your life but it won't be instantaneously All and open ocean, jump in and you'll find the your connection run towards your new
0: life The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ, from his birth to his ministry, his death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But his death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then He rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know